I'm now going to read uh, from uh, Ruth chapter 3, this uh, great next installment, as things are beginning to hot up in the story, if you've been following it. And uh, then Judy's going to come and share with us uh, on that as well. So I'm going to read from the Old Testament book of Ruth and chapter 3. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, Boaz, with whose, wo- whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked which I think is a paraphrase myself, but. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family, which was a legal term for someone that would help someone, an obligation to redeem a relative in serious difficulty. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you were wearing and hold it out. And when she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? And then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Next installment, next week. Good morning, everyone. Um, As some of you know, I have um, injured my back uh, over the last 10 days, and so I am drugged and on uh, diazepam, which apparently means that you say things in a quite unguarded and honest manner and uh, slightly reckless. So that's my little uh, caveat or uh, whatever for anything that I might say uh, this morning. But uh, um, somebody said to me a couple of days ago, what do you think you've learnt? And uh, I think I've learnt that paint hurts a lot and uh, that 
I'm not very good at resting, but uh, you are a wonderful church family of friends and I have felt very loved and uh, very spoiled and cared for. Um, but um, if, uh, if I don't turn around much, that's the reason. Andy suggested that you all move around rather than me and I quite like that idea of you all revolving. But uh, uh, it's great to, to be together and to be looking at this brilliant book of Ruth. I so enjoy it as a book in the Bible. There's so much in it uh, that points us to hope, that points us to Jesus, that points us to redemption. Um, can, am I switched on? Oh, okay, I just sound quite quiet. Um, <laughs> maybe not to you. Um, but uh, the book begins, uh, as we said a few weeks ago, um, with uh, Naomi, one of the principal characters in the story, saying, uh, my name is no longer Naomi, call me bitter, because God has left me because God's deserted me. My life is so bad that I can't see any good in it and I can't see that God is at work in it. Uh, it also begins with three funerals and ends uh, in the fourth chapter with a wedding and a baby. So not three weddings and a funeral, but something along those lines. But actually from despair to hope, uh, from mourning and deep grief to joy and redemption. And our hope is that as we look at this book together, that we're more and more convinced that whatever is going on in our darkness, one thing we can be sure of is that God is always, always at work. And uh, whether we know what he's doing at the time uh, or whether we don't, he is always at work. And he's at work for our redemption. He's at work for actually the very best for us, even when it doesn't feel like that maybe at the time. Uh, I read an unknown quote this week, I don't know what you make of it, uh, but it said, those who leave everything in God's hand will eventually see God's hand in everything. The things that we hand over to him that we have no control of and we say, God, you do this because I can't, then we are bound to see his fingerprints over it because it's not us. It's handed over. And uh, Ruth has been very obedient in following her mother-in-law. She has gone, uh, as we heard a couple of weeks ago, she has gone back with her to Bethlehem to the house of bread, uh, having gone away to Moab and strayed away, if you like, in terms of their family uh, now returning and uh, has uh, a really good mother-in-law in, -law in uh, Naomi and Naomi when we left her was full as I said of bitterness and pain and what sadness can do and loss can do for us is it can turn us in on ourselves can't it it can make us have pity parties or meltdowns or whatever you like to call them where we look at our own grief and we can't see beyond it we can't see beyond our loss but one of the great greatest ways to actually overcome our pain is to look at the pain of someone else and to actually reach out to be part of the answer to their prayers. And that's what Naomi in these two chapters has learned to do. She's learned to look to what her daughter-in-law needs. She says right in the very first verse, it's a lovely thing, she says, my daughter, should I not find a home for you where you will be well provided for? And actually what she's saying there is, is some people would translate it as a husband uh, for you and certainly she, uh, she certainly does seem to be on the matchmaking trail doesn't she as we read on uh, but one thing is certain that in the original Hebrew the word used is Manoah which means a position of security and rest so in a way she's saying to her daughter uh, her daughter-in-law sorry um, she's saying I'll find you a place of security Find your place of belonging, a place of rest, 
Uh, many commentaries actually compare this to church, that there are people out there looking for that home of rest right now today, looking for that place of security. And maybe sometimes, as we said earlier, looking at it in Moab, looking in the wrong place rather than in the right place. But she says surely that actually in doing what she's going to ask uh, her daughter-in-law to do, that God's heart for her is security, rest and relationship and restoration. And um, there is a very real sense that actually Ruth and Naomi are part of the answer to their own prayers. Actually, they take action, quite radical, quite audacious action as we, uh, as we read on, but certainly they're not passive in it, uh, that actually they read what needs to be done to provide for them and they do something about it. And I was reflecting on this yesterday and this week um, about actually just the way that the world is at the moment can so easily make me despair when I look at the news and I, I just think, I just do not know what to pray for how to to be of service in it all but God does know and he does have a part for me to play and that is true of every person here that as we cry out to God in the darkness as we cry out not knowing at all what the the redemption of this can possibly be we do have a redeemer we have a God who is at work but we can't just sit there saying God solve this we all have uh, the call of God to be a part of it Um, I always uh, remember someone saying to me, you have the remote, because I was saying, oh, I think I sometimes watch too much television and uh, sometimes perhaps lose time with that. And he said to me, well, you're the one with the remote. And actually that's true in life, that we can pray brilliant prayers, God, change the world, but still actually we have the remote as well. We have a part to actually participate with God, with his spirit, as Naomi and Ruth are doing now. And what they do in these chapters that we're reading, Echoes in the Whole of Eternity, impacts our eternity today, which is phenomenal. And that's true of us. What we do this week has an echo in eternity, what we put into the lives of those in need, what we put into the place of others. What we do in January when we begin Night Shelter, when we host that as a church, I'm so excited that we're doing that. I know we've helped with it in previous years, but to be using the resources that we have, to be a home, if you like, that place of rest, that place of welcome, that place of belonging. It might seem to us a small thing, but to the men who will come to us will be a really beautiful and we hope redemptive thing. So the advice that the mother-in-law gives, and I won't do any uh, mother-in-law jokes, mainly because I don't really know any, um, and I'm not very good at telling jokes, but um, the mother-in-law actually in this story uh, really steps up. But she says some quite unusual things. She says, wash yourself, which might not be the nicest thing to say to your daughter-in-law, get some perfume on and change your clothes. But there is very definitely, uh, whether you know much about faith or not, there is very, very much an echo of what we can do when we come to God and when we come to Jesus as our redeemer and our forgiver and our saviour. That there's a part that we play in making ourselves ready. Alice prayed at the beginning about let's be an expectant people. 
you know, let's be ready. So she's saying, as for you, girl, you do your part and then you go and lie at the master's feet. But make yourself ready, prepare yourself. We're going to take communion together in a little while. And we're going to have the chance just once again to focus on his grace, to focus on the fact that whatever we've done, however far we've messed up and gone wrong, that we come to him washed clean, clothed in his righteousness, the Bible says, washed clean in royal robes that we don't deserve, uh, that we can come to his presence. And so there's something very symbolic about what Naomi is asking Ruth to do and then it gets a little bit more audacious doesn't it or a lot some might say because she says go to the threshing floor which was outside wasn't even hidden away outside and uh, Boaz this good man this man who's taken her into the fields who's spoken well of her lie at his feet and uncover his feet and there are quite a few conflicting commentaries on what that might have looked like some say it was just his feet in all honesty some say it was a lot more than his feet but because I'm drugged I'm not going to go any further than that but you can uh, read up on that later but nevertheless there was very very definitely a situation where she was making it extremely clear in in lying where she was that she was totally submissive to him and waiting for what happens next and actually when when he wakes up and uh, finds her there and obviously extremely surprised I'm sure that she's there she says would you spread your garment over me which is a beautiful sense of actually a, a proposal in a sense of, of marriage that would have been how it would have been interpreted but also her saying I'm here for you and it's your choice what happens next totally submissive and again there are huge parallels for us as we come to Jesus and many of us maybe come even today I don't know your heart but I know mine and sometimes there are lies of self-doubt and things that the enemy puts in mind that says you're not good enough for God and that is a lie of the enemy that we're not good enough to come before him and the answer is none of us are none of us are without this redemption this covering of the garment this forgiveness this grace this beautiful grace and I am sure as a woman and the guys out there I'm sure you would agree that this woman at this point when he wakes up must feel vulnerable do we not think there can't be much more vulnerability than lying in the darkness not knowing he can't see uh, that she's there originally and actually being there and she is audaciously obedient audaciously obedient to what she's been asked to do but also probably in fear of rejection and if that's you today if you come to God fearing his rejection can I just really encourage you encourage us that God will never turn you away that actually his forgiveness is endless. The Bible says it's as far as the east is from the west, which really isn't a, a linear thing. There is no end to this grace. And what, um, what we read in chapter two earlier in, uh, in the month was that actually it was her righteousness that attracted Boaz, that there was something beautiful about the kindness and the uprightness. And he mentions it again when he wakes up. He says, I, I see your goodness. He doesn't say, boy you're an attractive woman you know I'm sure he must have thought that but actually what has attracted him to her what caught his eye in chapter two was the fact that she has been 
ungodly in obedience. And there's something beautiful for those of us who are waiting perhaps in situations, whether you're on your own, whether you're widowed, whether you're bereaved, whether you're divorced, whether you're single, waiting, whatever. There, there is a season of singleness in all of our lives. Uh, that's, that's one thing for sure. And when we're in that season, I think an attractive and beautiful thing to do is to wait in a way that honours God and to show kindness where we can. And it's difficult, but actually that's one of the challenges here, that rather than Naomi and Ruth getting full of self-pity, that actually they do their part, they trust God and they are kind and it's their kindness uh, that actually draws uh, their story uh, to God's story. And many times that's true of us. Now, are there dating tips in this story? I don't know, some might say that there are. Uh, certainly that would be one of them to stay close to God. Um, I would dare to say there might be another. Uh, when I first became a Christian at the age of 19, uh, I met a guy, um, I have to be careful not to name him now because Jess knows him. But anyway, I was 20 um, when I uh, met him. So just a year after I'd become a Christian, I was doing beach mission. And uh, there was a guy there that I really fancied. And he was really passionate about Jesus. He led one of the Bible studies. And I just thought, he's amazing. He had a lovely voice and just a lovely, lovely way about him. And uh, we were three weeks together uh, doing that beach mission. And uh, his report on my behavior was, I honestly, thought you hated me um, because whenever he would approach I would just look away and I'd be very warm to everyone else and uh, really off with him almost rude abrupt um, and uh, he, he was close to giving up and uh, apparently he, he was, felt the same. But on the final night, he prayed out to God and he just said, if she's wrong for me or I shouldn't pursue this, then I'll leave it with you. But if by any chance she approaches me tonight on this last day, if she comes over and talks to me, God, I will go through with it. But if not, I'm going to leave it here. And me over the other side of what had been a service, uh, I, I was very shy, um, but I just felt this absolute thing, Judy, you do need to just get yourself out there, go over to him and say hello and talk a little bit more to him. Now, that's not brilliant dating advice because uh, as you can tell, we didn't end up together, but he was my first Christian boyfriend and he taught me an awful lot about the Bible, about what a relationship could look like, um, all because of that kind of boldness. Now, I'm not saying that we need to be brazen in this, but I do think that we need to participate with what God's doing. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not, you know, he's going to show up tied up in a ribbon. We need to, to actually get amongst it, if that makes sense, whether you're male or female, and, uh, and actually be prayerful for one another uh, in the way that we respond. Um, and I'll leave it there because some of you are, uh, I'm, I'm just worried that I might be saying too much. Um, <laughs> one thing I would say, and I did say this in the first service, and I did say that it could be edited out, but one little tip to not say to a single person, person is Jesus is your husband. Um, I find it a very naff thing and he doesn't uh, put the bins out or give you a cuddle. So just saying that, um, the Bible might not agree with me, but, uh, but that, that, that there is a sense to which we know what that means and it is sincerely meant. It is sincerely meant. So if you've said it, be forgiven. But um, <laughs> But there is a very real sense that actually what he does do is provide wisdom, friendships, companionship, and teaches us many, many things along the way uh, through one another. 
So we can be part of the answer to our own prayers and to those of other, others, and we can trust him even when we feel vulnerable, even when we feel that we may uh, be rejected. And we can offer that place of home, that place of rest that actually the Bible talks about. Our hearts are homesick for the courts of the Lord. And uh, there is a real sense in all of us that actually Ruth finds her rest before she finds Boaz, if that makes sense. She finds her security enough to lie at his feet before she knows what the answer is going to be. She finds that place of rest and security and obedience. And I think for all of us, wherever we are on the faith journey, there's a message there that actually what the job that we can be doing is the washing ourselves clean, getting our hearts right, trusting the redemption of God, trusting him in the darkness as we knew in the light what we knew to be true. There's a great quote from uh, Tim Keller. We even get a picture, at least I think that's him. He looks different when I saw him on the video. But anyway, says this, faith is not primarily a function of how you feel. Faith is living out, trusting and believing what truth is, despite what you feel. And uh, whether there was a sense to which Ruth thought this was a mad idea, I suspect she might have done, uh, there was a real faithfulness in going despite of what she may have felt and trusting. Uh, sometimes our emotions are not the thing that we can trust. Is that you know, true for you? I know it is for me. And they're not a barometer of our spiritual maturity. You know, people make terrible mistakes with people who are unwell through depression and say the wrong thing because we see our emotions as a barometer of our spirituality and they're not, you know. And uh, I think that's very important that we realise this, that these are grieving women here that are involved in a story that, that echoes in eternity, but they're grieving women looking outwards, not inwards. I was very moved one year when we started the street pastors and the two people who volunteered, one had just lost a baby and one was going through a divorce. And I just thought, how beautiful is that? How beautiful is that? That actually instead of looking inwards, they wanted uh, to be uh, kindness. And then as we close, as we come to the end, uh, Boaz is very accepting of Ruth and uh, very complimentary about her. But he does say that there's actually a kinsman that is closer uh, to you than me. So by rights, we have to honour him first. And if he wants to be the kinsman redeemer for you and your family, then he is the, the line, if you like. He's the closest one, knowing that she was widowed. But he says, I need to sort that out and you need to wait. But if not, I will do right by you. Uh, and so the period of waiting that she's been in carries on, but uh, he actually gets her to hold her garment out and fills it with grain so that she doesn't go empty-handed back to her mother-in-law. And so we see in him a good and godly man who does the right thing. And I was saying in the first service that this is quite a risque chapter of the Bible, isn't it? You know, let's be honest, they had the same urges then as people do now. So the fact that he behaved in such a good and godly manner shows just how worthy of Ruth's waiting uh, he really was. And uh, credit to him that he does the right thing and uh, he sends her back to be a blessing. And her obedience and her sending out from Naomi leads to a 
reciprocal blessing. And the kinsman redeemer, the kinsman redeemer would have been something that people then were familiar with. We see Jesus now as our redeemer. Uh, but the sense of, of redemption was very much that Boaz was to be, and ultimately the end of the chapter and at the end of the book, we see that he is. He was the redeemer, if you like, for Ruth and her family, very much the provider in all things. And as we come to communion in a moment, we're just reminded again that that is Jesus for us, that he is our redeemer, that he is the one that actually covers us, that he is the one that purifies us, that forgives us and says every day, whatever you've done, you have a fresh start. And maybe if you don't know Jesus today, uh, that might be just for you to know that there is a redeemer, which means someone who saves us from our past and gives us a hope eternally for our future, uh, no matter what we've done. The Bible says this in Isaiah, do not be afraid, you will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace, you will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband, the Lord Almighty is his name, the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. There's so much in that, so much in that about the redemption of Jesus for us. And as we come to communion, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, to purify for himself a people that are his very own. And that is us, that he wants us to wash ourselves clean. He wants us to put on the fragrance, if you like, of the Holy Spirit. He wants to clothe us in his righteousness so that we can be part of his kingdom here on earth. We can be part of the hesed that we've talked about, the kindness that we can be part of that, that we, every single one of us, has a part that we can play. And what about that audacity? What does that look like in your life? What is the boldness that God might require of us this week in terms of stepping out? Certainly they won't come much more bold than what Ruth was asked to do. But what are we going to be asked to do even this week to do something that says, God, I obey you, but I leave you to do the rest and I need you to do the rest. And uh, whether that's uh, talking to somebody, whether that's meeting a need, whatever that is, that we can be part of that purification. <coughs> Here's a little Banksy to finish with uh, that says what we do in life echoes in eternity. And uh, I'm excited by that. I hope that you are too, uh, that actually we're part of what God's doing in all eternity. And uh, Naomi, through really, really desperate bereavement, you know, she lost both her sons and her husband in a very short space of time. And yet what she's done has gone on to actually really say uh, that she will be obedient to God, that she will see him as her provider. And he will do the same for you. If you him this morning in that be assured that he has a plan to redeem your life from the pit and to restore you and in that process to restore others through you let's be quiet before God as we prepare our hearts uh, for communion I'm just going to read something by Francine Rivers that we can reflect on which is at the end of her book redeeming love I used to believe in the purpose in life was to find happiness. I don't believe that anymore. I believe we are all given gifts from our Father 
and that our purpose is to offer them to him. He knows how he will use them. I used to struggle to find happiness and I used to work hard to attain it. By the world's standards, I was successful, but it was meaningless. Now I have joy, I have meaning. I have everything I ever wanted or dreamed of having, a love that is so precious, I can find no words to describe it. I haven't achieved this. This is the, the grace of redeeming love. I've done nothing worthy to earn it, and I know I don't deserve it, but I receive it as a free gift from the Lord, the everlasting God, the giver of life. It is the same gift he offers you now, every minute, every hour, every day of your life. Lord, forgive us that sometimes the pain within us is so great that we perhaps can't see beyond it. Lord, thank you for beautiful stories and characters like Boaz that show us godly examples. Thank you for Naomi and her audacious courage and her looking beyond her own pain. Thank you for Ruth. Thank you for her vulnerability in honouring you. And Lord, whichever one we identify with now, we ask that we would be part of your eternal story of redeeming kindness and love. That we would be the answer to the prayers of those around us, but also part of the answer to our own prayers as we reach out. Lord, thank you that this story echoes in eternity, that the baby that Ruth and Boaz have leads to the line of Jesse, to David and to Jesus. And we never know what the things that we do this week with your help and power, what they will do eternally. We pray all this in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.